to another episode of Life Unexpected Podcast. I have an amazing guest with me today. Her name is Jennifer Bassman. We actually met on the new social media platform called Clubhouse. So Jennifer is a coach. Tell everyone what you're certified in because I had it in my brain and now I forgot. <laughs> you're so funny. Um, I'm a Clifton Strength. Uh, certified Clifton Strength Coach. Also, people also know it as Strength Finders. Gotcha. Okay. And she is also an author. Tell me the name of your book. I'm sorry. Stop being a doormat. Stop being a doormat. Yes. Yeah, so she was talking about this in a room on Clubhouse, and I was like, I have got to connect with this woman because she's speaking right to my heart and soul. And it's like she talks straight to all of us, yes, women who are out there just saying yes to everything and everybody. And so she can help you with that and help you with the overwhelmed. And so if you want to take it from here and kind of expand on that and tell everybody what what it is specifically that you do. Sure. My name is Jennifer Bassman. I'm a certified Clifton uh, Strengths Coach, um, also known as Strength Finders. And what I do is I am a small business or business owner burnout master. I coach uh, folks going through burnout, and it doesn't just have to be a business owner. I've coached a range, a wide range of people um, through their burnout so that they live their life based on their strengths and also focus more on what they do best. And I'm also a burnout survivor myself. Burnout hit me like a train back in 2013, and it took me more than two years to claw my way out of it. So um, I had discovered through my own experience that there weren't a ton of resources available or at least helpful resources and supportive resources available when I was going through burnout. So I have been making it my mission to create those resources and to be that resource for people experiencing burnout. And one of the resources that I offer is a book that I wrote called Stop Being a Doormat. And it is all about creating effective boundaries. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, you have a hard time saying no, you don't like saying no, you feel guilty um, about turning down work or being unable to help somebody, it's definitely a book that will help you out. And it's set up in a workbook style. So by the time you finish the book, you will have created your boundaries and you will know how to enforce them as well. So I take you from start to finish. I don't leave you hanging there. <laughs> that would be a good thing <laughs> to go yeah, from start to right. finish. That's awesome. Right. Um, so how long would it say it took you whenever you knew you're like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm so burnt out. How long did it take you to get out of that burnout and then to finally say, I've got to do this for other people? So it took me, I would say, almost two and a half years to recover from burnout or to feel fully recovered from burnout. I really didn't find my uh, stride with recovering from burnout until about a year and a half, almost two years into it. It's, that's when I had actually discovered Clifton Strengths and Strength Finders had taken the assessment and the assessment um, directed, to, directed me towards the root cause of what, what was actually burning out, which is really important for you to discover when you're burned out is get to whatever the root of that chronic stress is and get rid of it. For some people, it's the job. For some people, it's just the environment. Um, it can be a variety of things. And for me, it was my behavior 
towards my job. I'm what you call a high responsibility perfectionist. And okay, that's the label I made up for myself. <laughs> Um, I am high responsibility and I felt such a deep, deep, deep sense of responsibility towards doing what I said I was going to do for people and do it perfectly. And I had set such a high, unrealistic standard for myself and sometimes for other people too, that really, you know, contributed to the chronic stress that I was feeling. And I didn't really realize that that's what I was doing until I took the um, Clifton Strengths and Strengths Finders assessment, and it showed me as number one maximizer and number two input, number three responsibility, and it was my number one maximizer and my number one or my number three burnout or number three responsibility that were um, I had allowed to tag team into this monster behavior that was keeping me in burnout. So. Once I got a handle on that behavior, um, my recovery, I should say my recovery moved um, moved faster from there because I had been able to find the root of what was keeping me pinned down. And the discovery, coaching it, actually didn't come along until a few years ago. I started running into, I'll tell you the sad story about being burned out at the time that I was burned out is that um, it was still a dirty little secret in the biz, uh, business industry or, you know, in the entrepreneurial industry. It was just something you didn't talk about. It was something mm-hmm. you were supposed to keep to yourself. And it wasn't something you could openly walk up to one of your colleagues, you know, another business owner and say, oh, my God, I'm so over my job. I just want to burn the place down. I'm done. <laughs> right. Yeah. Couldn't there? That just wasn't something you did. And so I got through it and kind of quashed those feelings down. And then a few years ago, as I was coaching um, another business owner, we started talking about burnout. And it there was just something this person said to me that hit me kind of right in my gut, right in my heart. And it was like, you know what, I need to share what I know, I need to get this out and out because I just also discovering about the same time that these feelings and these experience burnout experiences were coming far more common. And, you, you know, burnout is actually a far more common term today than it was even a year ago. So it's been interesting to see it become more mainstream and people being more willing to talk about it, but it still has that mental health stigma to mm-hmm. it. Um, unfortunately of, you know, I can't say too much publicly about it, but I feel so deeply in my heart that this is something I don't want other people to go through and experience that I've made it my fight, my cause. And part of that too is because, and I don't know if I'm saying this correctly for people to understand, the psychological aspects of burnout were easier to get over than the physical fallout or the physical harm that being under chronic stress did to my body Mm -hmm. and it killed my adrenal system I had a bunch of weight gain and that has been a much tougher fight than working through the burnout itself Mm -hmm. that is so amazing that you put all of those thoughts together the way that you did in just a few minutes and probably spoke to like 40 people at the same time because yeah well I'm serious because these these women that when you said the words I hold myself to a higher standard and I would I needed to be a perfectionist 
or that you thought you had to be perfect at everything. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is like all the moms. And that's, that's exactly why I wanted to have you on this podcast because so many women, moms or no moms, have that in their heads like they have to be perfect they have to do everything they have to be superwoman they have to do this they have to do that and they do they get and I know I have I've gotten burnout so many times and sure and I had no freaking clue how to get over it or what to do and so it just it does it makes you in this big cycle of I'm just going to eat my feelings and turn to food or I'm going to drink my feelings and turn to alcohol or I'm going to right you know, it is a very unhealthy um, cycle of stress, like you said, because it's 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 different. It hits you different physically than it does mentally and emotionally. It does. And it does. I think even though women talk about it more now, and that's the thing that I want to stress for, for people and women, especially as we talk about it. And it's yes, it's awesome that it's becoming more mainstream to speak about, but we have to start doing things about it. And I don't yeah. feel like a lot of us are doing more things about it. And that's why I just love what you're doing. And I love the fact that you're bringing your knowledge to women and to other people who experience this. And I think that if we began to do take action on these burnout feelings and these stress feelings, and then we can change our whole life. We can really turn around our attitudes towards a lot of different things and change our perspective on motherhood, on business, on just about everything that you can think of, basically. Uh, just be, 100% agree. I mean, it, <laughs> exactly. And it's part of it, I think, is today's society, too, where you have to keep up with the Joneses and you have to have four new cars and eight new houses and a lake house, a beach house, this house, that house. Oh, I can so relate to that. I can so relate to that, <laughs> that right there. I can totally relate to that. So, you know, what I, I will pull out of that actually is that we naturally, um, as human beings, we compare ourselves to other people. Yes. So, you know, there's that natural desire to look at what somebody else is doing and think, oh, I need to do that myself or... I should be doing that myself or, you know, I like what they're doing over there. I should try that. And it's not unnatural to have those feelings. What's unnatural is to try and emulate those things or do those things when it's not a natural talent for you or it's not who you actually are. And that's where the stress and the heartache really start to come in and, you know, as much as I love social media, I have the same amount of hatred towards it because mm-hmm. it has amplified our comparisonitis yes. with each other. Yes, it has. And um, it's not really a great thing. You know, there's all kinds of articles out there on this very topic that talk about how it leads to depression and mood disorders and that be sure you understand that people are only posting the best things about their mm-hmm. life. They're not posting reality it's almost like you know social media is one giant reality tv show where exactly it's not really reality it's nobody really looks like that or is doing those things and their kids aren't always that behaved they're probably little monsters that are crying and whining half the time. <laughs> oh my gosh um, and that i know so i've been around your kids <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I always giggle a little bit when my friends post pictures of, I, 
I don't have children, but um, I have dogs that are absolute terrors. And, you know, I post all these cute little pictures, but I make sure that people know that my dogs aren't angels, aren't complete angels. And I wish people did the same with their children sometimes. (laughs) But in the spirit of being human, it it is human nature to compare ourselves to other people. It's just a lot of us don't have boundaries around that. We don't know when to stop. And yes. that's that's what makes it tough. That's one of the reasons I wrote, you know, my book is because I've no, one of the most common topics that I coach other people that are burned out and something that I had to work out work through myself is that I lacked boundaries. A lot of people lack effective boundaries. We don't know when to shut that kind of behavior off. So, I think that's a great I think you're right. I think that's a great topic that needs to be a discussion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, I agree. Um, so when you say boundaries and you coach people through different boundaries, are you talking about what type of boundaries are you mostly talking about? I know you mentioned the social media boundaries, but are you talking about relationship boundaries as well? Or is it all the above? All, okay. All the above, because we need boundaries in our personal life, our professional life and our family life, and our mom life, and our dad life, our friend life, our, you know, partnership lives. Yeah, you need to have boundaries, basically, for all occasions. And the main goal of each and every boundary that you have, what they all have in common is that their main objective is to protect your time and protect your energy, so that you can use it wisely, so that you have enough to go around, not just for other people, but primarily for yourself and it's this whole concept of put your oxygen mask on first and then help your child or help somebody else women particularly need to get a lot better about this Mm -hmm. we need to put ourselves first because if we don't put ourselves first and take care of ourselves we're not going to be available later in a helpful capacity for somebody else yes and so your boundaries are a must <laughs> yes 100 percent. yes and I love what you said a while ago about just because I don't remember exactly your words but what came to mind was my husband and I were talking one day and I see a gap and I see a hole somewhere and I know I can feel it feel it and help and be helpful in that way but just it doesn't play to my strengths and it's not something I should be doing Correct. And yeah, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I think exactly for me, it's a really, really hard to find that line where it's like, okay, yes, I can help, but should I? Yeah. But really, should I? <laughs> One of the ways that I always I talk about that, and I I talk to myself. I have lovely conversations with myself all the time. Um, but, you know. <laughs> I try to remind other people that the line comes when you can't put your best foot forward. Because when you're giving half an effort, even if you're giving a 95% effort, that may not be good enough. I mean, depending on what the situation is, you know, all this is situationally dependent, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to step back and say to your, say for yourself, if I can't give 100% effort, meaning time and attention and energy to whatever this new request is or new demand is on my time, it's probably not something that I should take on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that you have to take what I say there with a little bit of a grain of salt because I'm a perfectionist. I'm a recovering perfectionist, I should say that. <laughs> um, it is a, it's gonna, I understand now that it's going to be a lifelong project. Right. Um, 
but your boundaries always have to be flexible. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not something that's rigid. So I say that with a, you know, tell people to take that advice with a grain of salt because sometimes that 90% or what I consider 90% is somebody else's 100% or it's somebody else's, you know, my 50% is somebody else's, you know what, that's going to get me through till tomorrow. But you can't cross that line of it stressing you out, it causing, you know, a sleepless night. And if you, if that thought ever crosses your mind of, oh my gosh, how am I going to fit this all in? And how am I going to get this all done? Mm-hmm. You are not the person for that request or that demand. You need to turn it down. And I think that that, when people are asking things of us, I think that that is a very common initial thought. You know, when somebody's asking us to do something, you're going, oh my God, I'm so busy. I don't have time for that. And if that comes up, you're not the person for the job, no matter how bad you want to help. Do I do teach people a little um, phrase that I think makes both people better, mm-hmm. feel better on both sides. I teach something called no, but no, N O comma B U T dot, dot, dot. And it kind of, it, it's a helpful way to get you out of a situation where you really want to help or you really feel you are feeling really guilty about saying no or turning somebody down. Mm-hmm. And the reason it helps both sides is you're still offering help, but you're not the resource. You're not the actual help. So if, if a friend of mine is saying to me that um, they need some help walking their dog and I can't do, I can't help. I don't have the time or the energy or whatever's going on. I might say no, but I know so-and-so is a great dog walker. And so I've actually given them a resource because most of the time what isn't helpful to the other person is the fact that they're feeling left high and dry without an answer, without some place to turn. And this makes both of you feel better that you've just given them a possible solution to their problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I love that. Definitely. So if somebody's asking for extra help at school or, you know, for you to volunteer or if somebody's asked, you know, no, but I could do X, Y, and Z, or I could um, come at this time instead of this time. You know, it's, it's also about asking for what you want in return. Mm-hmm. You know, people are so afraid of being told no back, <laughs> you know, no, you can't do that. Or, but usually if you're offering a solution to their problem on a certain level, in general, it works out. And if you showing up a little bit later or a little bit earlier or needing to adjust, being able to offer the cupcakes for the bake sale instead of actually physically being at the bake sale to participate, you're offering a partial solution so you're not leaving people high and dry. And, you know, you've got to remember at the end of the day, it's not on you to feel guilty because you couldn't complete the whole package but you at least gave a part of yourself you at least tried and you can't control what other people are going to say or do or think or feel and so you've really got to work to remove that muscle inside of you that automatically starts worrying about that kind of stuff I'm so glad you said all that it's it makes so much sense and the guilt for not being able to do some of these things that you're finally getting brave enough to turn down and then you're like shit I feel so guilty now Yeah, yeah. I mean, the guilt is the number one reason why people won't say no. Yeah. 
number two is fear. And actually, I should maybe even say now, you know, the more I've done it, it might be even just a tie at the top for those two. You're, you feel guilty and you fear upsetting somebody and you fear letting someone down. But yeah. at the end of the day, when you're not putting your best foot forward, here you've expended all this energy and somebody else still may not be happy or you didn't, you aren't proud of yourself, proud of what it was that you actually did. So yes. you know, it's, it's worth having a little conversation with yourself saying, look, I, do I really have the time to do this and, or do I only have time to do a little bit of this? What if I offered just a piece of what they're asking for? And if that piece isn't good enough, then so be it. And mm-hmm. I know that we kind of beat ourselves up for not being able to give everything all the time. You know, that's just, I think that's innate in most women. We just, I think that was built in at birth for females. But at the end of the day, you've got to protect your time and your energy because nobody else is going to do it for you. Amen and, to that. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Totally. Yes, totally. Nobody else is going to, you know, people are going to take and take and take, mm-hmm. but they're never going to put up a precious wall around you with a moat and alligators or dragons to protect, you know, yep. that. So you've got to build those reinforcements for yourself. And that's exactly what boundaries do for you. I'd love to tell you that the second you start enforcing your boundaries is the moment that people stop getting set by some, by you saying no, but they certainly respect you a lot more. Even if in the moment they're not exactly pleased with you saying no over the long term, because boundaries are a long game. They are the long-term game. Mm -hmm. They're not the short-term game. They're your long-term game to keep you going. Even though people are, you know, disappointed in the short-term and the long-term, they respect you so much more. I can't tell you how many people I've interviewed about boundaries and the thing that they say most consistently when I ask, well, what's your perception of people with boundaries? What's your perception of somebody that tells you no when they can't do something? And the first words out of their mouth are usually something along the lines of, oh my God, that person knows what they want and they have their shit together. The first thing that's come out of every, pretty much everybody's mouth. And it's not until a little bit further in to the discussion around that question. Well, it upsets me sometimes when people tell me no, but they can't do it, they can't do it, and yeah. we move on. So it's a short-term disappointment, but look at the first thing that people remember about somebody with strong boundaries that they maintain, that you come across as organized, you come across as respectable, and you come across as somebody who knows what they want. Who doesn't love those three things? Yeah, I know I do. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Give me. Give me, and it's all because they said no, or they said no, but yeah, you know, I mean something along those lines. They said this is my line, and I'm not, I'm not crossing it. Neither are you. Oh, that's so good. I could just sit here and listen to you for like hours. <laughs> this is just this is good stuff. You... Oh, they, oh, thank you. Oh. We talked for hours. I got all day. <laughs> <laughs> that's so I love awesome. Your laugh, your laugh is so contagious. By the way. <laughs> thank you. So do you think that talking about women and having to learn these boundaries and to learn to respect their own boundaries and to have those (sighs) guilts and all that stuff, do you think that ties around kind of a full circle thing with social media and their need to show that their life is perfect? 
Ooh, that's a great question. It could, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I think that's definitely, I think people's perception of you um, will always play a role in your decision making. Mm -hmm. I mean, on a cer- I can tell you over and over again to stop caring what other people think of you. But, you know, there's always going to be a small sliver of you, mm-hmm. hopefully smaller today, smaller tomorrow than it is today, that cares what somebody else is doing. And part of that is our, you tend to be a natural people pleaser. If you tend to worry deeply about what other people think of you or how they perceive you, that is something that I, I do think that social media amplifies and mm-hmm. it does play a part in that cycle that we go through with that little argument even the back and forth you could even say in our head of I don't care what people think of me and then you get on social media and you're worried how many likes your post got it's something that I a muscle that I actually have worked on a lot over the years and will say the older I've gotten the the older I've gotten the older I've become (laughs) the easier easier it has the easier it's been and I think as you know you get older your give a damn busts a little bit more it busted a little, I remember it busting a little bit at 30, a lot more at 40. <laughs> and I'm in my mid 40s now. So, and I will say, you kind of get to this point where you're just like, I'm tired of that. I don't want to keep up. Yes. It's not important to me. Yes. I'm not, it's not important to me. That is not a priority to me. And yes. good for that person. They got a new Louis Vuitton handbag. Good for them. But mm-hmm. that's not, I'd rather have a trip to Maui. You start kind of recognizing the behaviors or the thoughts that are jealousy and or um, trying to keep up with other people or worrying too much about other people. And then you start recognizing the ones that are, oh, that's not, that, that that's not a fit for me. That's not something that belongs in my life. Right. It, you know, I, I'm trying to think of a great way to explain that too, because it is, it is a good point to make is that we, we tend to let a lot of things into our lives that aren't a fit, that aren't a focus. They don't call to our strengths. They don't call to our natural talents. And, you know, it's one of the things that I have loved about strength, you know, becoming a certified strengths finder or certified Clifton strengths coach is that the material is all about focusing on what is right with you instead of focusing on what is wrong with you and focusing on your weaknesses. And that's exactly what, social media does is focus on weaknesses as much Mm -hmm. as everybody tries to highlight how fabulous they are and how perfect their life is at the end of the day the spotlight is really on your own internal weaknesses you're thinking about all the things that you don't have or that you aren't and um that's that's not going to (laughs) help never 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 does that help and i find myself doing that too when i'm feeling really overwhelmed Like, why can't I just handle everything on my shoulders and, and still be a positive person? You know, it's like, why can't I do all of these things and still be uplifting to other people? Well, it's because I'm trying to do too much and stretch myself too thin. Like you said earlier, you can't do too much and then wear yourself out and then be that positive life for people at the end of the day. And I think that takes a long time. I know it's taken a hell of a long time for me to learn that. And, oh, yeah. you know, I love what you said about when you, as you get older, you start giving less of a damn what people think, but you still have that little sl- sliver of you in there. So yeah. yesterday yeah. I had my makeup on and I was 
taking selfies and my son, he's 17, he walks in, he goes, you really take a lot of pictures of yourself. <laughs> and I was Dude, like, leave me alone. <laughs> I was like, well, I got to get the right angle and I got to get the right lighting and I got to get the right this and the right that. I was like, holy shit. Why? Why am I doing that? Because I care if other people think I look pretty. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I give a shit. You know, and care what your image is. Yeah, exactly. And so it it just there's so many aspects of our lives. I think that that point can hit. Other people may care if people see laundry in their pictures or or whatever it is in their life that they feel like they're lacking in. And I just I don't know. I really am loving. I can't wait to get your book and work through it. I think it's going to be amazing. Oh, good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, you know, and I don't want to say that you shouldn't care what you look like or you shouldn't care about the image that you project. Of course you should care about those things, but you've got to have a, they've got to be, it's got, there's got to be a balance, you know, I, um, I am not a camera or a picture person. I, I hate cameras. I hate being in front of the camera. And when I decided that my coaching business really, the only way to get myself in front of people was to get myself in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. It took, oh my gosh, it took, I feel like it took mountains to move me to do this. Um, I had to take a couple of courses with coaches that specifically coach you, give you the motivation and give you the power tips to get yourself in front of the camera. And it's got, what I discovered is that it had absolutely nothing to do with how I looked what was making me feel uncomfortable is was that I wasn't sure about the substance that I was offering. And it was so interesting to me how many people that were in these courses with me, they're worried about the camera settings, they're worried about the lighting, they're worried about their makeup, their hair, what they were wearing, what did the backdrop look like behind them. Um, and But they weren't worried at all about the substance of the material that they were putting out. A couple of the coaches that I worked with were right that, you know, you can look as pretty as you want, but if you don't have anything good to say, you don't have any knowledge to actually share, all the other stuff, all the outside stuff, all the glitter, mm-hmm. all the, you know, effects aren't going to matter. Nobody's going to come back and watch. And that really got me thinking too about my own personal social media accounts and um, it doesn't matter that I'm not in front of the camera on, you know, my personal social media accounts. It's what was I offering my friends, you know, what snippets of my life, because that's the whole point of social media, right? Is let me give you a snippet of what I'm thinking about. And it's funny, people, you know, applaud and clap when they, you know, finally see me put a personal picture of myself up. But I get far more responses when I talk about politics or I give my views on politics and, or put a special quote up or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because it's so much more meaningful to me. That's Mm -hmm. for me, people, the people that really know me know my substance is in my brain, not on the outside. Right. And I don't really care about the people that think the opposite. And, you know, that also speaks to your why. You've mm-hmm. got to know your why when you do, you know, you do a lot of this stuff. And that's something I coach in the book as well. You know, with your boundaries, you've got to know your why. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, your boundaries won't matter. You know, you've got to know why you're on social media. Why are you posting those pictures? And if that why isn't, doesn't call to your natural 
self or your natural talent, it's not going to feel authentic anyway. You know, it's not going to get as much buzz if that's, if that makes any sense. That makes um, 100% sense. Yes. You know, I mean, there's influencers that do so well is because they know how to be authentic. They know how to share parts of themselves. They're comfortable sharing Mm -hmm. most of the time and people know it. Also, you know, my burnout story um, a year ago, I wouldn't, would not have been able to talk about that even on a podcast, let alone in front of a camera. That was hard for me to admit that I, number one, burned out and number two, really struggled through that process to get to the other side, to not be burned out, to recover from it. And, you know, the one thing that I'm still working myself to talk about is the massive weight gain that happened from burnout because there was such a hormonal shift in my body from my adrenal system shutting down. Still, you know, even at this moment, I don't even know how you're getting me to talk about this, Amanda. God, you're good. (laughs) Dude, you're good. Anybody ever told you that? Uh, This is like counseling, guys. If you, I had no idea that Zoom calls could be like this. Um, This isn't, I I really honestly have never talked to people about the weight gain related to my, um, to my burnout. Um, It's something that I mentioned as a side effect, but that is something that has caused me a lot of pain and a lot of heartache and physically has been super difficult to deal with because prior to the burnout, I was a runner. I'm not going to call myself an athlete because I was not an athlete, Right. but I loved Pilates and was a swimmer and enjoyed all those things. But, um, you know, the weight gain over the last several years has really made that hard. And then having to figure out all the hormonal stuff attached to it is just really crazy. So oh, when I say the psychological, for me, the psychological part was easier <laughs> than some of the other facts. The stress, I just I had no idea that chronic stress was so hard on my body. I just, I didn't know that. That was a discovery post burnout as well. I think that's so important, though, for people to know about other people who teach and do the things that you do, because... It's so very common, but as we said earlier, people don't talk about it. No, no. And I think it empowers people when when you have, and you're so brave to come forward and say, this happened to me. I went through this. And I know there are other people that have gone through this too, you know, and how can I help them? How can I help them work through this? And I think that empowers other women to come forward and say, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for somebody to freaking say that. I've been waiting for somebody to give me permission to say, this sucks and I need help and I hate this shit right now. I cannot do this anymore. And it's... I, I give you permission. <laughs> I give you permission to say that. It does suck. It is painful. I don't want anybody else to go through it. It's why I've started talking about it more and more and more to the point my husband doesn't want to hear about it anymore, I think, but... Yeah, you know, and part of me feels like discussing the weight part is an excuse, you know, because I know that I did for a while have poor eating habits, but that didn't continue. (laughs) The poor eating habits didn't continue. And I'll save everybody thousands and thousands of dollars and hours of doctor bills as well, you know, to discover that the chronic stress had depleted my fight or flight system which is a hormonal reaction and that killed those hormones in that system that my body needs to respond appropriately. And so it's, it's been interesting. I, 
learned far more about hormones than I ever imagined that I would or care about them more than ever, you know. And then for women, this also hit at that sweet spot age where your metabolism is changing and your, you know, your hormones are changing anyway when you hit your 40s and God, aren't we lucky? Oh, girl, um, I know. I'm 40 now, and it's like it's like my body just all of a sudden started flipping me off, like every uh, other day. It's uh, like, yep. Ooh. And oh man, you know. And so I swear to God, if one more person tells me that I can't um, exercise my way out of a bad diet, I might punch them um, because that's not necessarily everybody's problem. <laughs> exactly. It's just not. It's not. Yeah, that's been that's been one of the harder aspects of burnout for me to really come to terms with and really work through and I am by no means a weight gain or a weight loss expert Mm -hmm. so but I will say that that has been a side effect that yeah I don't wish on on anyone but yeah I you know I really wish that you know as women we appreciated ourselves more and appreciated we have to offer stopped being so accommodating towards people and things that don't serve us you know I'm my mom I have this conversation fairly regularly with her now too. My mom is also a business owner. She actually just recently sold her, our family business and uh, retired. And this is the first time in, God, how old is my oldest sibling? Probably 50 years that she's had some time to herself and she has no idea what to do. (laughs) Wow. So, so interesting watching this process because um, it reminds me how wrapped up we can become in our jobs and our, you know, mm-hmm. our children. And I know my mom was under a tremendous amount of stress for a long time and talked about chronic stress and our health and how dangerous it is. And it's brand new information to her as well. Yeah, I don't think that you're crazy for not making that that connection previously. Right. Because it's really a fairly new discovery. You know, they're mm-hmm. equating smoking with, I think, you know, they equate all bad habits with smoking. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Stress is the new smoking. You know, blinking <laughs> too often. I don't know. I mean, there's just always something we shouldn't be doing that's the equivalent <laughs> of smoking a pack of cigarettes, even though you've never smoked in your oh, life. Oh, gosh. Um, it is now that I understand how that stress works through my body. Okay, yeah, I'm going to, I'll give the comparison to smoking. I'll let, I'll let Oh, it. definitely. Tell everyone where they can find your book. Oh my gosh, you can find my book everywhere. Um, no. <laughs> you can find my book um, on my website, jenniferbassman.com. But the easier way to get my book is actually on Amazon. It's out on paperback and it is also out on ebook. Perfect. So, um, and I'm also going to, just so you can get rid of me, get rid of me, get used to me. Gosh, wow. What was I thinking? (laughs) Um, Just so you can get a feel for me, you know, kind of how I work. I actually have a free PDF download that I will shoot you the link, Amanda, that you can share with your listeners. Yay. And it's a guide to, it's a guide to learning how to say no. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. It's one of the hardest things that we've all got to learn. So three easy steps to help you to build that no muscle because it is, it is a muscle. It, it is, is something yes. you have to continually practice and continually work at. Thank you so much for that. That's amazing. But I would love for you to buy my book anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Stop being a doormat on Amazon. <laughs> Stop being a doormat. We will get the link put up 
for that as well, along with the PDF to purchase the book when the episode comes out. It's also awesome. Yeah. So thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for having me. We're yes. doing this again, whether yes. you like it or not. No, I so want I really to. enjoyed this. Uh, you are so fun. You really are. Oh. Your laugh is infectious. And I just, I, I like your energy too. I like that you are a no-nonsense, you know, you tell it like it is. And yeah. I so appreciate that. Thank I you. I really do. This was fun. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you guys so, so much for listening to this episode. It was an absolute pleasure for me to interview Miss Jennifer Bassman. I hope you guys get her book and use it to enrich and empower your lives. And I hope you enjoy her free PDF, A Guide to Saying No, as a treat from her. And again, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you.